You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Hey, as we get going uh, for the podcast message, special shout out to those listening in Virginia. Now, I don't know who they are, okay? We do have one person that moved to Virginia, but I was uh, looking at the analytics this week. There were over 150 people that visited our website from Virginia. I don't know. Just want to make sure. If you're listening to this message, I'm going to leave it in the podcast. Shoot me an email. I want to know who you are and pray for you. Also, another shout out for Paul. He's probably flying 25,000, 30,000 feet. He listens to all the messages via podcast. Just want to say hi to him as well. I know there's a lot of other people that may not be here or sick. I can give you a shout out next time, but you're going to be here soon. I don't know who you are in Virginia. And Paul, you have been a blessing. Thank you so much for hooking me up and my son with his computer. All right, let's get into God's word. You ready for this? You excited? I know it's a little, ah, just take a moment to breathe. It's awesome. What a sweet time of worship, of things that are happening. The Seder meal was so good, Um, man, physically and spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Food was great. The fellowship was good. Uh, It was just a blessing. Um, But tonight, we're going to continue sort of our our passage through Exodus as as we're sort of studying through this book of Exodus in the series called God Redeems and focusing on how God redeems us as his people, looking through the lens of how God redeemed his people back then, the Israelites. Tonight, we're going to actually finish Exodus. We're not going to have that much text to cover, only a few verses, verses 17 through 22. But before we do that, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 23. Now, for some of us, we don't even need to turn it there because we know Psalm 23. It's a very familiar passage to us. But I want this psalm in our minds as we sort of start Exodus 13 in the message tonight, uh, these truths in our minds about how God is our shepherd. He's our leader. He's our provider. He's our protector. And uh, we're going to need this as we talk about redemption and God leading us tonight. Uh, This psalm is well known, but we'll read it together as we look At this study tonight, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? What a beautiful psalm. What a beautiful reminder. Uh, And although this passage is very familiar to pop culture, it tends to be used in funerals, which is a beautiful thing that the Lord doesn't leave us forsake us. It was actually written to people that were alive, people that looked to God to lead them, to be their good shepherd. And the Lord graciously tells us that he is our leader in this way. He is our shepherd. There are many scriptures in um, the Bible that talk about that, how we as God's people are like sheep and he is like a shepherd. We reference that in Isaiah 53 in communion tonight. Well, verse 6 talks about that, that we are like sheep that go astray, but the Lord is so good he brings us back. In fact, John chapter 10 verse 14, Jesus, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You see, through the gospel of Jesus, God redeems us into a right relationship with God where we actually have intimacy uh, with his spirit and with him personally to have fellowship and follow his leading. 
follow his voice, follow his instructions, and actually know who God is. You can know who God is through Jesus because he takes away sin, he forgives us, and he imparts his righteousness to us, and we are made new, spiritually alive in Jesus. So when we stick close to him, man, that's a good place to be. It's a good, he's a good leader. He's a good shepherd. And tonight as we continue this study through the book of Exodus, we're going to see how God is going to lead his people like a good shepherd he pronounces to be. And this is a picture of how he still leads people today, people like you and me. Now, Psalm 78, maybe not a, as familiar psalm to most people, verse 51 at the end of that psalm, it says this about where we are at in the book of Exodus. It says, God, he struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And the rest of the book of Exodus is really leaning into how God not only delivered them, but he walked with them. And he wants to remind the nation of Israel through these institutions of Passover, Feast of Eleven Bread, that he is with us, that he is with them. He wasn't done redeeming them after he just freed them from sin and said, well, good luck. Now he's, we're going to see he's going to lead them by walking with them. And he's going to do what he's promised to do, being a good shepherd to them. You know, George Morrison, a theologian, said, I took, it took one night to take Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to take Egypt out of Israel. And that's sometimes the case in your and I's life, that we can get freed and delivered, forgiven from sin, but then it takes a whole lifetime for God to work and transform us and sanctify us in this life. And the rest of the books of Exodus is about that, God leading his people and how significant it is to have God lead you in your life. Israel's exodus from Egypt wasn't the end of their experience with God. It was just the beginning. And many of you guys know that when you said yes to the Lord, when you submitted to God and became born again, you knew it was the start of something beautiful. It wasn't just fire insurance, something you're just, oh, saying a prayer and being done. No, this is a new relationship and God would now walk with you and mature you and grow. I was reading Warren Wiersbe about this section in liberation and our freedom we have in Christ. And he says, God liberates us and then leads us through variety of experiences of life, a day at a time, so that we might get to know him better and claim by faith all that he wants us to have. At the same time, we come to know ourselves better. We discover our strengths and weaknesses, and we grow in understanding God's will and trusting his promises. Yes, God wants to continue to have us trust him, even as Christians, even as his redeemed, even as his people. And he allows us, he leads us in our lives as a good shepherd to do so. And that's what he's going to be doing with the people of Israel tonight. And so I'm calling this message tonight being led by God. Being led by God, Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 through 22, with a picture of God leading us as a good shepherd, our Savior Jesus Christ, still with us, His Spirit dwells in us. And we get to read this and sort of think about how can we apply this today. Let's read it together and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us in a powerful way. In verse 17 through 21, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, we know it was by the mighty hand or the outstretched arm of God that these people were able to go. God proved himself to be real. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. He didn't lead the nation that way. 
Although, although that was near, it says, for God said, lest the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved from Succoth and encamped in Atham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day and in the pillar of the cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people." Let's pray once again and ask the Holy Spirit to move. God, we pray, God, that you would teach, that you would use my words now to just give, um, Lord, strength and encouragement to your body. We thank you so much, God, that you are a God that redeems, that you are a God that saves. I just pray, Lord, that you would minister and encourage, that you would work and use that gift of teaching now, God, to just pierce hearts. Lord, I pray this be a prophetic word for all those listening that they would be encouraged and blessed and know that you are with them and you are their good shepherd. This is a personal thing. And so we bless you tonight. We thank you that we've, you've gathered us together and we want to continue to bring you worship in all that we do, even studying your word tonight. We ask this in your powerful and precious name, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Well, as you see the people get set free from the nation of Egypt, they are now released in the book. Last message was a long message. It's about a chapter and a half, and it was really the exodus of them exiting Egypt by God's mighty hand. But now we see they're not just saved from something, but they're saved for something, and God is going to lead them into the promised land. In this passage that we just read, we see God lead them in three particular ways. In verse 17 through 18, God plans a route for his people. And we're going to take a deep dive in that. This next thing we see in verse 19 is that God uses Joseph's faith to encourage his people. God uses these bones that Joseph promised the people and solemnly swore, say, take these bones with me. What, what is that for us today? And, and in verse 20 through 22, God goes before his people in a pillar of a cloud and fire to lead the way and was with them. And what I want to do tonight in this text is show you that God still leaves in these particular ways as well. In a different way, but in the same way. You see, God, led, God leads us by unusual ways. He leads us by faith and he leads us by his presence. And as we see this principle in the nation of Israel as they're being led, we can see these principles still today by the power of the Holy Spirit leading us. And so the first thing is this, verses 17 and 18, God, he leads us by unusual ways. God led them by unusual ways. The very first thing we see in this text is God planning a route for his people. Now, verse 17 tells us that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it says it was very near. Now, you need to imagine this is the context of the book. There's at least two to three million people. The text says 600,000 men plus women and children. They had just gone. It wasn't like that infrastructure or a great big plan. God said, no, you're going to leave suddenly. You're not even going to have yeast or leaven in your bread. You're going to ask all the Egyptians to plunder them and get all the treasures, and then you're going to be gone. 
So they needed a system to, get, to go somewhere. And they were going to go to this promised land, Canaan. Can you just imagine how crazy that would be? Think about the last family gathering you had and just how nuts that was with just a handful of people. You're trying to organize over a million people and possibly millions of people, and you have to ask yourself, where do I go? How do I get there? Where do I get food? What's the route to take? How long will it be? The ultimate goal, the destination, was the promised land, Canaan. They currently were in Sukkoth. Now, last week we looked at that word. That means shelters. They were in a place where God released them and brought them to a place of security and shelters. But God did not call them to stay there. He called them to go somewhere else. He didn't call them to be comfortable. It wasn't the, la- the best place for them. He wanted to fill his promise in, in Genesis chapter 15 to this place of Canaan, the promised land, where he made a covenant to Abraham that he would be taking them there, a land flowing of milk and honey. That means it's a prosperous land. It was somewhere they can thrive. God didn't just want them to survive. He wanted them to thrive and take them there. So right from the start, we see God actually not wanting them to settle or get comfortable in Sukkoth, but more going to Canaan, which would be a hard thing to do. Yes, God leads us to do hard things, uncomfortable things. You got to understand that. You got to know that. This is the absolute perfect picture of that. Because, you know, when I think of travel, here's how I travel. And maybe you're the same. Uh, When I want to go to a destination, I go to my iPhone, I whip it out, go to Maps, and I say, I am in point A, right here. I would like to go to my desired destination, point B. Put it in. Now, you guys may not know this, but when you actually do that, Maps does some algorithms, gives you a a correlation, a route, a route, you know, to to pick. And there's actually three routes, usually, that it it will show. Some with tolls, some with not, give you all that options. But usually, the ones that we all pick, we don't even think about. We just hit the top one. Why? Because it's the fastest. It's the fastest. You just hit it. You don't think about it. You go, because that's how we travel. We want to get from point A to point B. Did you know that that is God's not primary concern of how we travel in our spiritual journey from point A to point B? No, he doesn't take the fastest route. In fact, the author, Moses, is making a specific notice, fact, point that they're not going the fastest route. That the way the Philistines was near, but they ain't doing it. They're going some different way. It's crazy. God has other purposes in mind involving our spiritual life for moving us from point A to point B than just being quick and easy. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, we know these verses, but think about your spiritual journey. God tells us he's actually working in our lives to accomplish his will and conform us to the image of his son. Now, right off the bat, that principle, you should know, that's going to take some time. It's not going to be everything that you necessarily want to be. But God's still working. He's still moving. You may say, I just want to go here. And God's like, yes, but if I went there, then I have this plan and everything needs to line up. And there's a timing of this. Now, we need to trust in God's plan when he leads us because he knows us. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And his will will be done. So like the Israelites, he directs you and I the way that may not make sense to us or maybe the easiest at times. They are unusual for us, especially the ways of the flesh, the way that fights against the Spirit and submission to Him. One commentator said, If you permit the Lord to direct your steps, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, 
Expect to be led occasionally on paths that may seem unnecessarily long and hard. Amen? It's rough, man. Sometimes you just got to accept it. This principle is true. Following God takes time because he wants to mature us. He wants us more like Christ. That, that's his goal. And often, i sad to say, sometimes that's not my goal. And so he is God and he leads us and he walks with us. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, we read, we fear no evil because he is with us. And it goes against our natural desire, our pattern. Or as we read in Psalm 23, verse 3, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's why you get that cliche, the Lord works in mysterious ways. They're mysterious to us, not him. He knows what he's doing. He has a will that cannot be thwarted, a plan and a purpose. He's sovereign. Nothing takes him by surprise. But for us, we're like, what? It's right there. What? This is the answer. He's like, no, I'm going to do something different. But I'm going to walk with you. And that's what we see here. And we need to learn to trust God. Like Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 say, when he takes us in these ways that are higher than our ways, these paths that are beyond our thinking, we can trust God that he is God. And through the rest of the book of Exodus, you're going to see that these people are trusting God as they go in usually a different way. Now, verse 17 and 18 goes on to say that God led them around the way of the Philistines because it was for the people's own good. They didn't even know it or recognize this. It said, lest the people change their minds when they see them in war. You know, later in their journey in Numbers 14.4, it would tell us that once they reached the promised land, Canaan, they actually saw their enemies and they said, we're like grasshoppers, they're like giants. And they said, let's appoint another leader and go back to Egypt. God already knew this about them. He knew their weakness, so he wasn't going to put them in that place. God knows your weaknesses, still loves you, and leads you to the way that you need to go gently. We all have our own spiritual journey, and he gives us our own path personally. God knows things about us, and he knows what's best for us, and so he leads us in all different routes. Even though we're all going to the same destination, we're all trying to con- he's all trying to conform us to the image of his son. God didn't want them returning to Egypt, so he gave them a manageable way to go. Maybe not the easiest physically, and maybe not the easiest emotionally, but spiritually it was for their strength. You got to know that when you question God's plans in your life when they're unusual when you're having a hard time and this way of unusualness this way this pattern that is hard and difficult it was known as the desert or wilderness your bible says wilderness some translations say desert significantly spiritually in the bible this is one of the ways god's work is through a wilderness season or a desert a path verse 18 says but god led them the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. What a weird thing to think about. God leading his people, millions of people, toward a dead end, the Red Sea. But you may have read ahead. Next week we'll cover it. They're going to get to the Dead Sea and God's going to, or the Red Sea, and God's going to split it to show them once again his strength and his might in their life. But in order to do so, he had to, they had to go to the Dead Sea, trust him, and go through the wilderness. And this principle 
is still for us today. God leads us through wilderness times, through hard seasons, through what you may call a desert, and it's for our good. Places of great discomfort, isolation, saints of old called a dark night of the soul. It doesn't mean that you've lost faith. It doesn't mean that your faith isn't mighty. In fact, it's probably because your faith is strong that God is leading you there. You know, Pastor Rob and I, we always talk a lot about counseling and people and even his own life. He's like, man, he always brings up this, that the greatest wilderness or desert moments in his life is where he's had the greatest moments of intimacy with God. And I don't think anyone wants those times of hardship, suffering, wilderness, desert times, but yet the Lord meets us in such a special way in our grieving. He's near to the broken heart, the Bible says. He comforts those that are afflicted. He's with us. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into where? The wilderness to start his ministry, to be tempted by Satan, Matthew chapter 4. And listen, we need to stop thinking about that passage wrongly. Like, oh, poor Jesus, I can't believe it. It's such a bad thing that he, he went to the desert and then God had to get tempted. No, God led Jesus out into the wilderness to be in solitude, to be spiritually strengthened, to fast, to pray, to be ready for the temptation of the enemy and to fight. And he conquered Satan. He didn't give in and he fought with the word of God. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus didn't stumble in one way. He started his ministry in the wilderness, in the desert. The desert and the wilderness prepared Jesus for the fight to fulfill God's perfect plan for our redemption. And don't you think that the ways of Jesus, we want to walk in those ways? So you're going to have some wilderness seasons. You're going to have some desert moments. And the Holy Spirit will lead you as well in this way. And it's so unusual. It's so hard. But this is why we need to constantly be in prayer when it comes to understanding the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because we need to align our lives and our hearts with God's hearts, humbling ourselves in prayer. As David wrote in another psalm, Psalm 25, 4 and 5, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are God of my salvation. And for you I wait all the day long. God leads us in unusual ways that fight our flesh. Why? Because he leads us by faith. That's what verse 19 shows us. Now, did you know that Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith, without trusting him? God wants you and I to trust him when he leads us in certain ways. He strategically leads us into situations where we have to trust him. That's what he's doing with these people, leading them to the Red Sea. The Bible says we move from faith to faith. Sometimes it's so weird and so unusual. I even look back at our story, my wife and I, when we moved to Delray Beach to start the church. It was like everything was going well in our lives. We were serving the Lord in a local church, but God sent us out. We had no job. We didn't know what the plan was. Um, We didn't know a soul in Delray Beach. My kids were so little, and yet I had no problem leaving everything and trusting God because of faith. Because God would call you to do things that just he gives gifts of faith. And some people will think it's so unusual, but the reality is he wants to lead us by this, by that. And I believe God called us here to Delray Beach to start a church. I still believe God has called us here, specifically in Delray Beach, for a great work. And you know what? It's still hard. We're still a small church. 
Sometimes we don't know where the bills are going to come from or how we're going to pay the bills. We deal with problems that are way over our heads. It's complicated just to lead others. But I have such a great joy and a peace in being the pastor at Redemption Church because it's by faith. It's something that God has gifted me in because I trust his leading in my life, his calling, and I have this eternal peace. And this is one of the ways that God leads us. You know, it's a, it's a biblical cliche. It's a little cheesy, but people you hear sometimes in the Christian circle, I have a peace about it. And what they actually mean is found in Philippians chapter 4. It comes from this passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, when Paul's talking about hardship and, and this, he's in jail, but he's giving this joy letter to these people. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. Because we are going to have some anxiety, some stress, some uncomfortable seasons, moments of wilderness times. But in everything, prayer, uh, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the result will be, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we pray about the decisions we make, as we get guidance from the Spirit, wisdom from the Word and His people, God is able to give us an inner peace of these unusual ways that he leads us. And he guides us in this way. He is a God of order and decency, and he doesn't contradict himself. But as you live for Jesus and follow his word, I, I always try to make decisions myself to say, what's the move that I need to make by faith? So if I have two decisions, I can't go wrong if I make a decision by faith, even if I fail. Because it's by faith, and that pleases God, and that's worship. So that gives me a peace about everything. When I make decisions based off faith, it's like there's a joy, there's a security in that. And Paul says just a few verses after that in verse 9, what you've learned, what you've received and heard and seen in me, now you practice these things. I'm not just speaking this. I'm living it out for you. I'm teaching it. You can hear it. You can learn it. And when you do, the peace of God will be with you. You can actually have peace from the Lord. Another way God leads us is through an example of inspiration. He leads us when we look at other people and they have this faith and it actually works for them. It encourages us. As we see God work in other people's lives, doesn't it build your life? Even just simply coming to church and seeing other people haven't given up, you're like, okay, great, I can't give up then. I still got to be here. Let's go. Like you see people suffer well, and it, and it actually encourages you to trust God because God is actively living in other people's lives. It's sort of like you can see other people's stuff, but you sometimes can't see your own stuff. And this is why the body of Christ is so important when it comes to faith. Maybe why Hebrews 10 tells us not to neglect the fellowship of, of gathering together. Because we need one another. When we, when we meet one, with one another, it builds our faith and we stir one another up in good works. And so as Paul is saying, Philippians 4, 9, that if you follow his example of faith and apply God's word in your life, you'll have peace too. In other words, loving and obeying God will bring great comfort and confidence in your life. Paul is saying that he has a peace so you can have a peace and you can seek God and you can have trust. Here's an important principle when we think about God's guiding us by faith. God guides us as we obey and love him. Jesus said this in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is it who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. As you act in faith and trust God because of your love for God, God will not disappoint you, and he will show you the way to go. He will give you his word. He will encourage that faith like he's going to encourage these people's faith through Joseph's bones. Jesus will reveal himself to you and his will to you as you love and trust him. He'll manifest himself to you in a real way. He'll reveal himself. He'll show you the path. But again, faith doesn't mean it will be easy. God knows it won't. And this is why verse 19 is so important for us because it serves as a reminder that God is faithful to his word and that we can trust him in his ways. You see, verse 19 is Moses taking Joseph's bones out of Egypt with him. A little weird if you don't know the context, okay? Because before Joseph died in Genesis chapter 50, he promised his brother, he, he begged his brothers and told him, swear, swear to me, promise that when God delivers you, you're gonna take my bones out of here. Do not bury me. God is faithful to his word. What is he talking about? Well, God had already prophesied to Abraham in Genesis 13, um, or in Genesis 13 through 16, but specifically in chapter 15, that the Israelites would suffer, be slaves, and 400 years later, they'd be set free. Now what's happening? They suffered as slaves. 400 years later, they're set free. And Joseph isn't in the ground because he had promised, he had told him, do not promise me, do not do this. I want to live by faith. In fact, Hebrews 11, this chapter of faith, highlights Joseph's faith with this exodus. It says, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. He already knew that they were going to be slaves. He already knew that the wilderness was coming, that the hardship was coming. But he knew who God was and the faithfulness of God, and he wanted to make a decision by faith. And so it says, he gave direction concerning his bones. So now we got Joseph's bones here. They were never buried in Egypt. And can you imagine how they served as a reminder to the people of God as they were slaves in Egypt, suffering. After generation after generation, Joseph's bones are right there. Not in the ground, but as a memorial, encouraging people, saying God will come through. His word is true. And now Moses is saying, bring those bones. God's going to come through. He's going to just do it like he said, and he's going to bring us to the promised land. Even though it's a harder way, we're going to the desert, we're going to the dead end, because we're going to trust God. Get those bones, let's go. And so now he's bringing this testimony, this summary of jo Joseph's life would be perfect, because Joseph had a hard, hard life, unexpected life, with a lot of suffering. But at the end of his life, he can say, I trust God and he is good. Or to sum up his life in chapter 50, verse 20, this verse says, As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He was given glory from his last breath. That's what you should have as your goal, to give God glory to your very last breath and to be a testimony for the next generation. And you know, I think it's good to have these type of reminders, these memorials. Uh, as we've been studying that, what the Passover, these feasts are, but you can have your own personal memorials. You know, in my office, I have a few things. I have this little sign of Maine and a, a picture of uh, Camden, Maine, uh, this map from our sabbatical, what God did in our lives. And it's just in my office, just on the wall, just reminds me of the truths that he gave me. Or when Pastor Rob and I went to Austria, I just grabbed a couple of rocks from the mountain. 
Just, they're just, no one would even know. They're simple rocks, nothing special about them. But they were just significant to be like, you know what, I'm taking these rocks to remember the work that I've done. Or, you know, you guys may see this cool hip water bottle. Eh? Pretty nice, right? Very European. Very European. I agree. Sorry, I'm thirsty and there was ice in there. Didn't see that coming. That water bottle is to remind me that I have brothers in Spain that are planning a church, that I'm praying for them, and that I want to remind myself that their faith is encouragement to me. I have plaques on my wall from Carver Middle School. When we met there and the principal and community recognized all the work that we were doing or even my ordination when other elders and pastors sent us out to start this church. Simple reminders that God has worked in my life. I wonder what memorials or things you have to be reminders. We don't worship these things, but they're actually good. They're important. They're fundamental. And that's what these bones serve as a memorial or reminder to trust God. Trust God. And so Joseph's bones were to the people an encouragement that God's going to lead them by faith. But lastly, God leads us by his presence. I need to swallow this ice. The nation was led by a pillar of cloud by day that became fire by night. Now Exodus 14, 14 says the pillar was identified with the angel of the Lord God himself. His presence was with his people in a special way. If you read through the book of Exodus, the very end of Exodus chapter 40, um, it calls this cloud, this cloud, the cloud of the Lord. And it would later be in, placed upon the temple, signifying God's presence, and then even the temple. It signifies God's presence, and throughout Scripture we see fire as a picture of the Holy Spirit. And this cloud really represents the Shekinah glory of God. It's a visible sign with the people as they journeyed for 40 years in the wilderness. Verse 21 and 22 says that the pillar went before them. It led them, and it did not depart from them, and before the people, God specifically gave him his presence to shield them from the sun at, night, at day and guide them uh, by fire at night. It was a comfort to them that the Lord gave this thing to them and his presence in this way. God not only guided them by his presence visibly, but he spoke from this cloud. Psalm 99 verse 7 says, In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. Remember the cloud went over Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai and gave them the law, the Shekinah glory of God. They kept his testimonies and the statues that he gave them. He was guiding his people by this cloud, being in their presence, ministering his word. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 and 21 say, Behold, I send an angel or a messenger before you to guard you on the way. God wanted to guard his people. It's important to bring them to bring you to a place that I have prepared. Pay close attention to him and obey his voice. There's a pronoun for this pillar of cloud. There's his presence. And so the people were to follow the promptings of God's presence. As the pillar moved, they would move. As the pillar stopped, they would stop. And they would learn to listen to the voice of the Lord and be led by his voice. Now, for us today, we're still led by God in very similar ways. I know many of us, I, I know that we want a huge visible sign, like, well, it must be nice if you had a huge pillar of 
clouds or fire, you'd know, okay, let's head west. This is where he's going. Easy, right? Um, But can I remind you that we actually have something better? It's the person of the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, the hope of glory inside of us. In the New Testament, after Christ did his earthly ministry and ascended, he promised the indwelling of himself, the Holy Spirit, in individuals. And he promised in John 14, 17, he dwells with you and will be with you, will be in you. Paul described in this new covenant the good news of the gospel in Colossians. He says, Christ is now in us, the hope of glory. Christ's spirit is no longer in a pillar or a tabernacle or a temple, but in all believers, those that trust and repent and turn to Jesus, he now gives his Holy Spirit to us. And he leads us in a very intimate, personal way. Jesus was, had removed people from their sin and uh, God had removed this nation from slavery and in in this sin and, and Jesus removes us from slavery of sin. He gives us his righteousness. He brought us back into right relationship with God. And so now the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Paul would address this to the Corinthian church. So don't you know now the Spirit of God is with you? You can lean on him. You can have your good shepherd. Jesus said, it's better for me to go to the Father. I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to lead you there, but it's better that I go so I could what? Send the helper, the comforter, one to walk alongside the Holy Spirit. You see, just as the pillar of smoke, or just as the pillar of of the cloud and fire spoke, so too with God's Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And we know that the Holy Spirit has inspired Scripture, what we would call the very Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The Word of God guides us and is actually described as fire. Jeremiah chapter 23, 29. It's described as light in Psalm 119, 105, and it guides our path and directs us. Jeremiah 23, 23, the Lord spoke to the prophet and said, Am I... Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and am I a God far away? The answer is he's a God at hand. He's not far away. He's with us. He's Emmanuel, which means God with us. His presence is personal to us individually, and he guides us through his spirit and through his word. And so I would say that if you are guided by God regularly, if you go to God's word, you're guided by God regularly. And we have to be people of God's word to listen carefully, closely obeying his word. God does speak in a still, small voice, and he does minister to us through people, but he never contradicts his word. He manifests himself in different ways. And what's interesting is there's a pillar of a cloud and fire. Did you notice that? It's a cloud and a fire. It's a pillar. It's a big thing. It's obvious. Now, This cloud represents how God works naturally through his word. Even coming to church service tonight, there were pillows of clouds. At least that's what I like to call them. There are no mountains here, so sometimes I just deceive myself and think, look at that mountain. Oh, no, that was a cloud, right? There's these little pillars of clouds. They're very natural. The only weird thing about this thing is it was in the desert. Did you notice that? This cloud was leading them not only for one day or two days or a season, for 40 years. It moved and stopped and guided them. It was a natural thing, but it was supernatural. And we need to understand this about the Word of God. It's a very natural thing. It's just language. It's just words on a page. But it's a very supernatural thing as well. 
and we can sort of take for granted how natural it is. It's naturally supernatural. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the, to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Don't forget the cloud and the scripture are supernaturally natural works in God's life and able to communicate to us through the power of the Spirit. The Word of God has a transformative strength and power to it. It's alive and active and working. But don't forget that that cloud became fire as well. And you don't see fire in the, in the, in the sky very often, do you? That is a very unnatural, weird thing. You see fire, you run. You can consume, someone's house burned down, what's going on? Not only clouds, but there was not just smoke. It says there was a pillar of fire. This same pillar manifested itself in a different way in a different season. In the day it was a cloud, but in nighttime there was fire. And you know what I think this represents? The manifestations of the Spirit today. Found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, the Bible says that Christ gave gifts to men to display his power through the Holy Spirit. That God manifests himself and guides us, we the body, as we exercise the gifts that he has given as he wills. Manifest again means to exhibit, to reveal, to shine forth. 1 Corinthians 12 describes some of these manifestations or gifts as words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits, gifts of healing, working of miracles, gifts of faith, gifts of prophecy, gifts of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Next week, I want to do a deep dive into the manifestations of the Spirit because as I was sort of preparing and doing a devotion for this, God, the Lord just gave me so much. I want to make sure that we think about this as we talk about the pillar guiding them, and this is going to happen in uh, in the text a lot. So I think it'd be well worth our time next week as we study sort of in depth these things. But for today, we want to say we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. They're still for us today. God moves in one way through His Word, through His Spirit, but He also uses His body, doesn't He? And He also uses these gifts to accomplish and to speak and to guide and give prophetic words. And we need to not only be people that doctrinally know this and teach this, but embrace this and practice this. Jesus said, signs will accompany those who believe. Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Those signs are by the power of the Holy Spirit who is with us. And God manifests himself in these different ways. God leads us with his presence dwelling in us. And he uses both his word, his spirit, his people, these gifts to guide us. It's pretty amazing. And so as we close, here's what I want to do. Two things to practice and give space for this. One is this. I want to give people an opportunity just to repent and follow Jesus. Now, most of you in the room I know, but I know that many people are listening. They may not know Jesus. The way that God guides us, first of all, is us repenting and turning to him, asking God to save us, to make us spiritually alive, that we need the indwelling of the Spirit to be born again. And the only way that we're able to do that is to repent and say, God, forgive me of my sin. I, I am a sinner. I deserve death. I need your mercy. This is the picture of how God redeems. He pulls us out from slavery and sin, and now we are slaves of righteousness following after him. And the Bible says that when we actively go after God, he casts no one out, that when we confess that he is Lord and raised from the dead, we shall be saved. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is an act of faith. And this is how you become a Christian. 
not by doing good things or, or joining a church or whatever it may be. You repent of your sin, believe that Jesus died for your sin, he rose again, and he's coming back again. And so you simply just cry out from your heart and you say a prayer. And it could literally just be, help me, God. It could say, come into my life. I believe that you're Lord. I, I want the Spirit of God to dwell in me. Fill me with your Spirit, Lord. The Bible says, whatever words that you put, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, that you shall be saved. And God can start guiding you and directing your life. And if you did this, we want to disciple you. We want to point you to Jesus and help you in your path and your journey of faith. But the Bible says it doesn't just stop there. Just like these people, it didn't stop there. It was just the beginning, isn't it? There is an important emphasis on evangelism in our church, but there is a also important emphasis on discipleship. And God doesn't just want those to repent and turn to come to the Lord at one-time decision. He wants our walk from faith to faith. People like you and I that know Christ, entered into his family by faith, we need to still walk by faith, not by sight. And God has given people an opportunity to practice spiritual gifts. Now, obviously, we believe that the gifts of the Spirit need to be exercised. And so we need to make space for this as a church. And when we close our service tonight, rather than a song, what I want to do is I just want to wait on the Lord and see if he wants to give anyone a vision, maybe a prophetic word, a word of knowledge, prompting by the Holy Spirit, even speaking in tongues, interpretation. God can do these things. And oftentimes in our services, because they're not talked about, we have a ritual, three songs, message, communion, done. No, when we come together, it's all about Jesus and being sensitive to how he leads us and just, being, just having him minister to us. You should expect God to manifest himself to you, and you should expect the body to love you and encourage you in these ways. And no, they won't always happen in a service. That's why we have body life, and it's, Christianity is more than just a 90-minute service, right? We have community groups and these things. But I want to tell you as your pastor, these things do work in our lives, that people are having visions, that we speak in tongues, and we've heard interpretations, and we have prophetic words, and these things matter. God spoke to the people by a pillar of fire as well, and we need both. It's not an either-or. God's a God of order and decency, and so he knows what we need and how we need it, and it doesn't matter what we decide what it looks like. We just need to practice by faith and make sure that we are understanding these things and giving space to move forward. And so, as we wait on the Lord, I just want to take five minutes and just ask God to minister to us. And uh, if you're struggling with maybe, I know sometimes uh, in my mind, sometimes the Lord has asked me to speak in tongues out loud or to have a vision. I'm like, is that a vision? I don't really know. Listen, as we're praying, we're going to play just a simple piano song. And um, if nothing comes about or you're struggling, you could talk to Pastor Robin, run it by him, and he'll be like, great, why don't you share? Or I don't know, maybe not. The Bible says you can test these things. You don't have to embarrass yourself. It's okay. And if God doesn't want to manifest himself or give us a special word or anything like that, then no big deal. We take time just to pray for a few minutes and just wait on God. But I'm telling you, church, this is how the Lord uses his body to edify one another. And we need to embrace these gifts just as we embrace the word of God. We're to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so this is a very important thing with your relationship with God to be ministered to in these ways by the body. And so let's do that now. Let's uh, just come before the Lord in prayer and let's just take some time to see if you would want to do anything uh, to reveal and edify the body in these ways. Mm -hmm.
This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.